You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at John chapter 11, verses 17 down to verse 27, and we'll be asking the question, do you believe this? It's a question that's asked in the passage itself, and so we'll be asking that question introspectively of ourselves also. But before we do, I have a few things I'd like to mention really quickly. First of all, a big thank you to those of you who have been leaving ratings and reviews for our podcast on iTunes. Thank you so much for doing that. If you haven't already had a chance to do that, but you're a regular listener of the podcast, we'd be super grateful if you took a moment to do that. It's a big help to us as we seek to connect with new listeners and share God's Word with as many people as we possibly can. And one other quick thing I just wanted to make mention of before we get into today's study, and that's this. If you haven't been to our website in a while, you probably haven't had the chance to see this yet. But one of the things that we've been doing is offering basically a free book of the month. And the book we have available right now is the third volume in the 30-day devotional series that I've been releasing each month this year. And uh, the newest volume is called Desire Jesus, Volume 3. It's available at Amazon.com, but if you go to our website, pastor.us, you can download a digital copy of the book for free. And it's something that we hope you enjoy. It's something that I've been receiving some very good feedback from. So thank you for those of you that have been sharing good feedback with me. I'm always grateful to hear from you. Each volume of the Desire Jesus series is a 30-day devotional that's geared toward helping you grow in your walk with Christ. And the daily readings offer encouragement and refreshment and hopefully some strength as well as you approach just the challenges and the different things that you face each day. The idea is that we would keep our minds centered on Christ in the midst of everything that we experience. So if you'd like a free copy, just head over to pastor.us. You'll be able to download a copy right there from the front page of the website. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, today we're looking at John chapter 11, and we'll be picking up at verse 17. So we're taking a little bit of a break from our study of 2 Corinthians, but we'll continue that next week. And we're asking the question today, do you believe this? Now, the context of this scripture that we're about to look at involves the the subject of resurrection, and here it being Easter season. So if you're listening to this right after I released it, I released these podcasts on Monday, but as I sit here in my studio, it's Saturday evening, so it's the night before Easter Sunday, and we'll be celebrating the resurrection all day tomorrow. With our church family, with our extended family, the day will be filled with remembrances of Christ's resurrection. And the portion of Scripture that I'm about to read from is a portion of Scripture that involves some foreshadowing, because it takes place prior to Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection, but it gives us a picture of what Christ is about to do. It gives us a foretaste, a hint of what Christ is about to accomplish in his resurrection. So if you would, open up with me to John chapter 11, and I'll be picking up at verse 17, and this is what it says in that passage. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, 
And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to take a look at this portion of Scripture and meditating on its content and learning the things that your Son, Jesus Christ, made plain in this passage. Lord, we see some foreshadowing here of his resurrection, and we also see that he was trying to communicate to Martha and to all who would eventually read these words that resurrected life is found in him, that he offers resurrected life to all those who trust in him. So, Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture and as we meditate on the resurrection of your Son, we pray, Lord, that we would understand what he accomplished and the implications of all of this for us. We're grateful, Lord, that you've revealed this to us, and we pray that by your grace that you would teach us now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the portion of Scripture that I just read is from the Gospel of John, and if you were to take a look at the Gospel of John in its entirety, if you went through some of the earlier chapters, you'd see Christ's earthly ministry explained, and you have the Apostle John making a point to show that Christ is indeed the Son of God, that he is divine, that he is God come in the flesh. And throughout the course of the book, you see Jesus teaching, you see him performing miracles, we see evidence of him training leaders, so he's training the individuals that would become his apostles, and he also uses his teaching and the example of the things that he's doing to provide some foreshadowing about his primary purposes, what he's ultimately up to. And as he's doing all of this, we also see that he's angering the self-righteous religious leaders who rejected him. They were jealous of the attention he was getting. They were jealous of the following that he was getting, and they rejected him. But we also know that Jesus was deeply loved by the downtrodden and the dejected, the people that a lot of times others would avoid. They loved Christ. And we see examples of this all throughout the Gospels. But in this portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, we see a context where something sad has taken place. In fact, when you look at the verses prior to what we just read, we see that Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, and who happened to be a friend of Christ, he died. He passed away. And everybody was grieving. Everybody was sad. And now Jesus was coming to perform a miracle that would display the kind of miraculous work that only he could accomplish. And there are principles in this passage that we would do well to notice that apply to us, even in the context that we're in right now. 
And one of those principles is illustrated right in the first few verses that we just read, but I'm going to reread them in just a moment. But here it, it reminds us of the fact that when Jesus found us, we were also dead. Jesus found us when we were dead. Look at what it says in verse 17 down to verse 19. It says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And then the scripture says, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, about a week ago, just for fun, I started a discussion with some friends about which cooking smells we enjoyed and which we didn't. And that can be an entertaining conversation to have. It could also be, in some respects, maybe a little bit of a disturbing conversation to have because sometimes you end up with some mental imagery that you really didn't want to have. But I confess that I am not a big fan of the smell of eggs. When they're cooking, I just... For whatever reason, I just don't like the smell. Some people say that they really don't smell anything. I, I know for me, I, I don't like the smell of, of uh, eggs when they're cooking. Other people listed things like broccoli as being one of their least favorite cooking smells. Cabbage. I love cabbage. I don't know if that's something you like uh, as well. And the smell, I guess it could be a stronger smell. That smell doesn't bother me too much. Neither does broccoli. Uh, but other people listed various forms of seafood uh, as being a cooking smell that they find unpleasant. I do not like seafood, not even in the least, so I would agree with that one. But even worse than unpleasant cooking smells are the smells that are given off by food or really just about anything when it's decomposing. That can be hard to deal with, but the sights and the smells of decomposition are part of the imagery that the Apostle John wanted us to be thinking about when reading this passage. And this chapter tells us that a friend of Jesus named Lazarus had died. Lazarus was from Bethany, which was a town outside of Jerusalem, where the climate was generally warm. And in that region, when a person died, their body would often decompose rather quickly. In fact, it was customary for the people of that area to bury bodies quickly. They would usually do it the very same day someone died. And when Jesus arrived in the town of Bethany, Lazarus had already been dead and entombed for four days. There were lots of people there. They were still grieving over his passing. And we get the impression from the scripture that some were trying to console the grieving family. In fact, mourning for a prolonged period of time was customary in that time and in that region. So Jesus and his disciples walked into a context where there was much grieving, and it was well-established and widely known that Lazarus was dead. Now, have you ever thought about the condition that we were in when Jesus found us? What state were our souls in? Were we living? Were we moving in the right direction? Were we healthy and getting even better? Some people think we were, but truthfully, we weren't any of these things. We were spiritually dead, but because our physical bodies were still breathing, we were probably convinced that we were actually alive. But when you look at what the Scripture tells us, the Scripture tells us otherwise. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and then verses 4 and 5, we read this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So what does that mean? That means when Jesus found me, I was dead. If that wasn't the condition that we were in, why would he have even bothered to do the drastic things that he chose to do to rescue us? If we just needed to be cleaned up a little, why bother being tortured? And if we just needed new ideas, why bother having a crown of thorns jammed into his skull? You know, if we just needed to be taught to be more productive, why bother having nails jammed through his hands and his feet? But God, in his great love and mercy, looked at us. And he watched us walking around in our state of spiritual death, and he knew that the only solution for this problem was to send his son. We were dead, but through Jesus we are made alive. He experienced our death so that we could be made alive. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, we see this. Lazarus was dead, and everyone knew it, but Jesus was about to make him alive. And this scripture is meant to give us a clear picture of where we were as well. We were dead, but we didn't know it. Yet Jesus seeks us, and he finds us, and he comes to us, and he offers us new, resurrected life through him. Jesus found us when we were dead, but he offers us new life. And this scripture goes on to explain to us that resurrection to eternal life awaits all believers. Look again at verse 20 down to verse 24. It says, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. The other day, I don't know if you followed these um, holidays that are kind of these uh, minor, maybe even made-up holidays that that, uh, sometimes people are promoting, particularly online. But the other day was National Sibling Day. And uh, I have two younger sisters, and every year on that day, I like to jokingly remind them that I'm still a little sad that I didn't get a brother. (laughs) And uh, the truth is, it's very interesting to observe just how different siblings can be. I am very different from my sisters. They are very different from me. Uh, My four children are very different from each other. And you know what? That's by God's design. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, it describes a few siblings. Mary and Martha were the sisters of Lazarus, and they were very different people. When you look at some of the things that the Scriptures reveal about them, it it shows us very clearly that they were very different from each other. Martha tended to be the person who had a hard time sitting down and a hard time taking a moment in. She was the type that could serve a meal but had a very hard time sitting down to enjoy a conversation because of her focus on everything that needed to be done. Mary, on the other hand, was someone who could sit and have conversation with people and actually enjoy a moment. But when you look at this scripture, it was Martha that went to meet Jesus when she heard he was coming. And Martha, being a person of action, said to Jesus that if he had been there, 
he could have healed Lazarus and prevented him from dying. It seems clear that Martha recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. She was aware of his special relationship with God the Father, and she believed that the Father would answer anything Jesus asked of him. And in the midst of this conversation, Jesus offered Martha hope. He assured her that her brother would rise again. And Martha, in hearing this, took that to be a reference to a distant future resurrection. And her words later in this chapter show that she wasn't thinking that Jesus was about to resurrect Lazarus to physical life that very day. But that's what Jesus was planning on doing. Now, it's interesting because when you look at some of the things that people debated during that era, particularly among the the theologians or the religious leaders, resurrection was a hotly debated topic among the religious camps of that day. You had groups like the Pharisees who believed that the Scriptures literally taught that the Lord would one day resurrect the dead. And then you had another religious camp called the Sadducees, who tended to dismiss a literal interpretation of the Scriptures, and therefore, likewise, they did not believe in the concept of resurrection. And apparently, this was a subject that both camps would argue about. Well, what does the Scripture teach? Well, Scripture teaches us that resurrection is very much part of God's plan. Both the Old and New Testaments emphasize that. In fact, let me read several scriptures that illustrate this. The first is from Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. But in that passage, it says this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Tells us this in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 14 says it this way, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. We also read this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 down to verse 14, where it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So, the Scriptures clearly teach, both Old and New Testament, that resurrection is true, and that the Lord Jesus Christ is the firstfruits of the resurrection. He is the first to be raised in an immortal body, and we're promised that we'll experience a resurrection like that as well through faith in him. And Easter Sunday is a day that we celebrate that fact. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We commemorate, we rejoice in the fact that Christ rose from death. Jesus defeated death when he rose from the grave, and he offers the gift of a bodily resurrection in his perfect presence to all who trust in him and receive his gift of salvation. Resurrection to eternal life awaits all believers. And that's something that's alluded to here in this passage, in this conversation between Martha and Jesus. But then Jesus addresses this very directly, and he teaches something to Martha that all of us need to embrace. And that's this, that if we believe in Christ, we 
will live. Look at what he says in verses 25 down to verse 27. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. What do you worry about most? When you let your mind get away from you, what kind of thoughts start to creep in? I think most people tend to worry about three major things. Think the loss of finances would be the first thing. Harm or death coming to their family would probably be number two. And harm or death coming to themselves. And maybe for some people those would be in a different order, but I think those tend to be the three major things that people spend a lot of time worrying about. So let's take a moment to address those things. Your finances may or may not work out, but they aren't the most important thing. And from an eternal perspective, they don't matter as much as you think. Yes, your family will experience seasons of comfort and seasons of trial. And yes, everyone you know, including yourself, is going to experience physical death unless Christ returns first. But how much of this is under our control? Almost all of it is not. So why worry about it? Worry is first cousins with fear, and fear is the opposite of faith. Christ hasn't called us to a life of perpetual worry. He's called us to walk by faith in Him because He's got all these things under control for us. He even tells us here that the thing we tend to fear the most, physical death, cannot stand up against His power. The message Jesus shared with Martha is the same message He offers to teach us. He is the resurrection. He is the life. Everyone who believes in him will live forever, even if they experience physical death. Death cannot defeat anyone who is part of Christ's family, because he has already defeated death. Jesus explained this to Martha, and then he asked her, Do you believe this? And what was her answer? She said, Yes. She also expressed, her belief in who he was, that he was the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's a question we should be wrestling with today as well. Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus has all of this covered? He raised Lazarus back to life. He displayed his power to these people. Do we believe he intends to do the same thing for us or are we convinced that it's more productive to live the remaining years we have on this planet in fear? Jesus found us when we were dead, and he offers the gift of resurrection to all who believe in him. All he asks is that we stop placing our faith in lesser things and trust him once and for all. He promises to cleanse us of our sin. He promises to grant us new life. He promises to remain with us in the midst of our trials and our tribulations, and to take us to be with him someday, where there will be no more mourning, no more sorrow, and no more pain. He will wipe every tear from our eyes and will remain present with us forever. 
These are the things that he teaches us in his word. And the question for each of us today is this. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at it today. And Lord, we thank you for the things that you explain and illustrate in this passage of Scripture, that you remind us that you are the resurrection and that you are the life, and that all who believe in you will live forever in your presence. Lord, you will resurrect us, and you will give us a new body that cannot be corrupted by the things that our current physical bodies can be corrupted by. And yes, our new body is going to be physical as well, but it won't be tainted by sin, and it won't be subject to death. It'll be a body that resembles what your resurrected body looks like. And Lord, some of that's mysterious to us, and some of it you've revealed to us clearly in your word. But Lord, we look forward to that fact, and we're so grateful that you love us enough that you would do these sorts of things on our behalf. We don't deserve any of this, but you came to this earth anyway because you are compassionate, and you lived the perfect life on our behalf. You died on the cross to pay for our sin, and you rose from the grave, having defeated sin, Satan, and death, and you share that victory with all who trust in you. Lord, we're grateful to be beneficiaries of your blessings, and we're grateful for your presence with us today. And just like you asked, Martha, the question is poignant for us as well. Do we believe this? Is this something we believe? Do we believe that resurrection and life are found in you? And Lord, by your grace, we pray that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts so that our answers will be, yes, we believe in you. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your presence with us today. And we commit this day and this week to your care. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the informal Bible study. We hope you have a wonderful week. We're always grateful that you listen each and every week. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, if you have the opportunity to do so, be sure to visit us at pastor.us sometime during the course of this week so that you could grab a free digital copy of my latest 30-day devotional, Desire Jesus, Volume 3. We hope it'll be super helpful to you in your walk with Christ. It's completely free on our website, and we're happy to share it with you. And we'll have it up there for a short time, so while it's up there, we hope you'll grab a copy. So again, thanks for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll catch you back here again next week on Monday. Thanks again. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.